Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Megan Gilgert, and welcome to the Fresh Exchange Podcast. Hey, friends. We are going to talk about tomatoes today. I know. I know. It's going to be exciting. You guys love tomatoes. We all love tomatoes, but, and if you know me, I guess, you know that I'm super passionate about growing them. I mean, last year I had over 40 tomato plants. It was quite a problem. This year I might be close, but trying not to be, I have an issue with my tomato obsession. Okay. So I'm just going to admit it that it's probably the one thing I hoard seeds over. Okay. It's out. It's done. Now, you know, and I can start my recovery process, but... I'm working on it, okay? But I also deter a lot of gardeners from growing them. And this kind of surprises people because when you think of a garden, many times people think of tomatoes. But the truth is, though I can make you a solid case of why you shouldn't grow them this year, I instead want to make a really strong case about how to grow them properly and well in a way that might make you feel confident and less like a failure this year if you do grow them, okay? So Tomatoes are tricky. There's a lot of moving parts to them. We got, um, especially if you're in a northern climate, because there's a lot of disease, water issues, pests. Climate can just be a problem with heat and lack of. There's a lot of things. So today, though, I'm just going to give you my tips to help you through that. So you know, our online community is doing a whole one-hour event where I'm sharing my tips as well as other members sharing their tips. And if you want to join us, you can become a member this month and get access to the live or recorded event, as well as start learning how to garden with others. It's an amazing community of people. So I don't think you'll be disappointed in joining this year, especially if you're wanting to grow tomatoes. We talk about them a lot. But this episode today, I'm going to give you a strong highlight on what we're going to be covering. And so you can get kind of a good synopsis and maybe this is enough for you to just get started this year, which is totally great. So we're going to jump into that. 
But before we do that this month, we have an awesome sponsor on our podcast here every Wednesday. Uh, the amazing Star Cut Ciders award-winning Pulsar Cider is our sponsor this month. And I have to say, this is one of my favorite ciders. It is one of the many, like mini ciders that I love here, but this is definitely one of my top ones. It's one of the canned ones that I can easily grab at the store and at my favorite beverage shops. And it's made by the amazing Shorts Brewing Company, if you didn't know. And if you don't know Shorts Brewing Company, you should go check them out. They have so many great beers, but they're here in Northern Michigan in this area. And the reason I love Pulsar is that this is one of the only ciders in Michigan you can find canned using 100% Michigan sourced apples. In fact, most come from the Peterson Farm in Shelby, Michigan. Because of the way they create their cider, there's only one gram of sugar in it, which is amazing for ciders since most have almost 20 grams. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Which means this is also key why it's one of my favorites is that it is very dry and they actually use fermented Pinot Noir yeast in their process. So it is a really great everyday cider that I love to grab when I'm at the store. And so you're going to hear a lot about it this month because they are, we're looking always for amazing sponsors that we believe in and Pulsar and Starcut and Shorts is one of them here. In fact, it's one of the first things we grab at the store, so it should be no surprise. But if you want to learn more about the offerings that Starcut Ciders have, they have a lot of other flavors, but Pulsar is my favorite. You can head to their website at starcutciders.com. Okay, so let's get going, guys. We're going to jump in. We're going to take care of all this, and I'm going to help you feel really confident. Okay, that's my goal today. I want you to leave confident, curious, and ready to tackle this because you can do it. And it starts right now. Most of us in the North, we've either seeded our tomatoes, or if you're even further along, maybe you're starting to plant them wherever you're at. It doesn't matter. This is still great information. Okay. And I want to make sure you understand that. So first of all, we're going to define something that a lot of people are really confused about indeterminate versus determinate. So when we're talking about tomatoes, there's two varieties, basically. There's a lot of varieties, but they land in one of two categories. They're either indeterminate or determinate. Indeterminate means that they have basically no end. They just grow like crazy, like these wild vines that just go. That's the short and dirty of it. There's a lot more like chemical makeup and we can get really like technical, but we're not going to because that's not my goal here. I want it to be accessible to you, but that's the easy way to look at it in a very high level. Also to note, indeterminate tomatoes are basically their original form. So when we talk about determinate, there aren't really determinate tomatoes that naturally occur that way in nature. So when they were undomesticated, they grew like indeterminates and they vine, they grew all over things. But when they're determinate, that was part of the domestication. They made them easier to grow in bush sort of situations and which is a lot easier for compact gardens, things like that. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just understanding the different types of plants. And some people will also talk about this because when we're talking about pruning, we, a lot of people get really like fussy about doing one thing with indeterminates and one with determinants. And I think that's fine. I, I do. I've talked about this. I have tested this in my garden with both 
and done the same pruning process. And I don't really notice that it, I notice that pruning makes a huge difference, but I don't notice that it dramatically changes things for an indeterminate versus a determinate. Um, I do a lot less pruning on determinants and mainly it's just like removing excessive leaves. Um, but on indeterminants, I'm a lot more about the suckers and removal of those, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. I just want you guys to understand that there are two varieties and you hear it, you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it when you're talking about it. You're going to hear about it when, and sometimes if it's not indicated, I think it's really a good, you know, rule of thumb that if it's not, you know, indicated that it's an indeterminate or a determinate, that it's probably an indeterminate. A lot of heirloom varieties are because they haven't been, you know, genetically modified as deeply as the determinants happen. That's the quick and dirty. That's it. It could go a lot deeper, but I just want to keep it simple for you guys because that is what you need. You don't, as a home gardener, we don't need to understand the chemical makeup of everything and how everything happens, but we do need to understand what our options are. And that's the really high level of it. So now let's jump into tips because now we understand this really base thing. So first of all, when we are growing and starting tomato plants, they need heat. Okay. We cannot, I highly suggest starting and growing your own tomato starts if you can. If there's one tomato or one start that I think is both very challenging, but also probably the most rewarding to grow, it's definitely tomatoes. Though flowers are great and beautiful and like little fireworks and everybody loves that. I think there's something really wonderful about growing tomatoes from seed in your home and then putting them out, even if it's like three of them. It, it really is rewarding. But you do need a heat mat they because the soil needs to be at least 75 to 85 degrees in order for them to germinate. So you have to have them at that point. They also need eight to 10 weeks um, prior to going out. And if you, you might be thinking, oh, that, that gosh, eight to 10 weeks, that's like June, Megan. Like this is April. Yeah. Okay. This sounds crazy, but you don't need huge tomato plants when they're on the ground. And I am always like humbled by this every year. Like when I go to start them, I'm like, gosh, it feels so late. But then I think about when I actually put them in and I look back at my notes and it's usually about June 10th, June 12th that they actually go on the ground because that's actually when the soil's warm enough. And that's actually when it's about 45 degrees. So at night as a low. So I really suggest like understanding that and that eight to 10 weeks is like plenty of time if you start them now. Absolutely. So the other thing to know when you're starting them is they need nutrients. Tomatoes are a huge nutrient suck. Literally, they take everything. In order for them to create the fruit, create the leaves, to do all the things, they need a lot of help. And so we have to actually feed them. I don't do a lot of feeding beyond compost sort of stuff in our garden, uh, but with tomatoes, I do. And what I use is Neptune's organic seaweed fertilizer. It is extremely eco-friendly, everything. Um, it comes from seaweed, so which is growing in the oceans and has a lot of positive effects on the environment. So, and it's for, and it's all organic and everything. So that seaweed has all the things that those tomatoes need. And so when I start my tomatoes, once the first leaves pop up, I give them a feed. Then 
right before I pot them up, which potting up is extremely important with tomato seedlings. And they've got about four total leaves, their first leaves and then their first true leaves. I will pot them up just below those first two leaves and I will actually feed them right after I put them into their new spot. Or you can feed them the week before or something like that. It just gives them that resilience. Then, I know it sounds crazy, then right before, like I've been hardening them off, preparing them to go outside. And then the week I plan to put them out in the garden, I feed them right before again. And then that's really it. By then they have all the nutrients they need. They're going into fresh soil that's full of compost and everything they need. They got all their buddies out there already. They're really the last ones to go in other than the basil into a companion planted bed. And they're ready. They don't need much more feeding than that. If you see them having some issues, you can always do another feed after they start fruiting. Sometimes, you know, if your soil is still lacking a little, maybe you're going to need that. But for the most part, you're pretty good. That feeding is just really important through the establishing of the growing process. This is going to help them have all the information they need, all the energy they need to create the the flowering, the fruiting, all those things that are really important. So giving them all that really early on, it also makes them more robust and strong and less susceptible to things as they get out into the world. So that's the other thing. Another thing about them, when you get them outside and you're planting them, I like to plant them in the evening because I don't want too much sun. It's a big shock to them. You're going to see sad little tomato plants. If you do it at the height of the day or something like that, go for the evening. Take your glass of wine out there or your kombucha and enjoy it. You know, make an evening of it. (laughs) And you want to plant them deep because these plants, just like when we up pot them, when we up pot them, we're bearing some of the stem. We're going to do the same when we put them in the soil, into your garden. We're going to plant up to, like, we're going to take off those bottom leaves, the first set of bottom leaves. Sometimes they might already start to be coming off. And that's an indication you're going to plant up to that next set of leaves. And you're going to put, you know, probably a good inch to two, maybe even three inches, depending on the size of the plant, into the soil. And you're going to be like, gosh, my tomato plant is so tiny now. The thing is, is that tomato plants, they push roots out of their stem. And so, and in fact, many times when they were wild, they would utilize that to ground themselves to, you know, things like that. So it's not crazy at all that they're doing this. This is like part of their way that they establish a really strong system to gain those nutrients that they need. So make sure that you get that stem into the soil and be a little bit like, aggressive with it. It's not a problem. They're going to grow. So we also just want to make sure that they have, when we're talking about pruning and we get to pruning, you want to make sure one of the things that you're kind of doing is making sure that before you put them out, that they haven't produced any fruit. So you actually want to remove flowers until they're in the ground. So, um, they're, they're, you're going to want to put them in the ground and, and then, and make sure that they don't have any flowers on them just because you want them to wait to start doing that until they've established themselves into the soil where they're going to fruit and produce and everything. So that's kind of like the whole planting growing process, but how do we handle them as they're in the garden? You know, I think this is only half the battle, maybe even a quarter of the battle, because 
A lot of times what get us, gets us with tomatoes are the diseases, the pests, um, watering issues, uh, pruning, all of those things. So first of all, I'm going to push you guys to some blog posts about the companions. Companions are really, really key with tomatoes. Okay. They, I started playing with companions first because of my tomatoes and it's a great place to practice them. It's really straightforward. It works. It, um, all of it. And the main ones, and I have, I believe I have a podcast episode and I have a blog post about it. And in the blog post, there's actually like, I show you a four by eight bed and I use this example all the time in companion planting teaching, uh, how to use I, with tomatoes. Cause so many people want to grow tomatoes, but so many people have problems and then they utilize the companion planting. And then they're like, Oh my gosh, this works. This is crazy. And then they get really into it. So it makes me really excited and that's why I use it. But I love it because a lot of the main pests that we have, have even the diseases can be offset by utilizing companions. Carrots, for instance, are one of them. We're going to put carrots in, you know, in April into the same bed where we're going to plant our tomatoes. And so the seeds come up, the greens are up. And really once the greens are really going, you're going to be ready to plant your tomatoes. And what the carrots do is they open up the soil. They prepare it for really strong root development in the soil. And they just like, have this wonderful communication together that also helps them taste better. It's crazy. So so <laughs> I love plants. And then you put in borage, which borage is basically kryptonite to the tomato hornworm, which is like the devil pest of the garden. Uh, it's huge. It's absolutely ginormous and amazing, but it will demolish your tomato plant and absolutely take it to the ground very quickly. And I want to note, I still get tomato hornworms. But when you're talking about 40 plants and you find two all year, I think it's pretty good. I think it's very natural to have things eating your garden. It's about deterring it from being a smorgasbord, so to speak. So it is not. And when you only have two tomato hornworms, they're very easy to remove. They're very easy to control versus like, if I didn't have that one year, I found almost 20 of them in a bed where, I, cause I was experimenting with this. I was like, you know, how, how can I see how this works? And I had them in completely different spots and had one with all the companions and one without, and the tomato hornworm was non-existent. If maybe one, I don't remember having one, but then this other one, it was like every day you could almost pull one off and they're huge. So I highly suggest looking into companion plants. You can also add marigolds. You want to add basil because they make your tomatoes taste better. The borage also makes your tomato taste better. And then you can put onions and then you can utilize lettuce around the base, the tomatoes canopy and create like this wonderful cooling effect on the lettuce. But then on top of that, it mulches or creates a sequester of water into the soil because of its coverage and can cool the soil on really hot days and protect it from water uh, being removed because some of the diseases that we have are related to water access or too much water access. We want to make sure that we're thinking about that. And so one of the things is that you want to make sure that your watering is really observed closely. Like a lot of people just want to put it on a timer and not think about it. Well, the problem is with timers and not thinking about it is that let's say you get a really heavy rain. 
there's a really good chance if you're, once your tomatoes are established, yes, when in that early stages you have with all plants, you have to get them established, which watering them regularly for like 30 minute bursts once a day in the morning or night is really the best way to do that almost every day. But then once they're established, I don't know if I watered my tomatoes because of rain and things like that more than three times between the end of June and September. And you might think that's crazy, but we had consistent enough rain once a week and we got a good inch of water once a week. I didn't have to water them because when we overwater our tomato plants, we're going to start getting blossom end rot, which looks like a brown spot on the bottom of your fruit. And you're going to be like watching this tomato grow, watching it grow. And then you're going to be like, oh no, it's rotting. Oh no. It's going to be heartbreaking. Okay. And it's really normal sometimes to see that early in the season um, because maybe you've been watering too much. What is happening is calcium is not getting into your plant. And you, if you have too much water, then you're going to be running this, you know, it's going to be trying, there's going to be too much water to pull the calcium up. It's a very heavy mineral. And so, and it just can't get up to the plant more or less. It's very common in young plants to not have that strength to do it. So if you have one, just maybe lower the water and see what happens. My bet is it's going to fix itself. So just toss that fruit, let the deer eat it, whatever, birds eat it. And then, you know, see if it happens on the next one. If you change your watering routine, or if there's a lot of rain that week, give yourself some grace and be like, you know what? It's the rain. And see if it happens once the season gets a little drier. I can promise you it probably will. But what is helpful is that if you have all these companion plants in there, they're going to help both retain that moisture in a good way, but then they're going to aerate the soil to move the water around as well. So interplanting these things together where it's not just tomatoes alone creates a really healthy environment for your tomatoes to thrive. Now, next, pruning. Okay. <laughs> pruning is, like I said, kind of a controversial thing with tomatoes. Uh, it doesn't have to be though. Okay. So basically what we're looking for is and to understand is tomatoes need a lot less leaves than they produce. And when we remove the leaves and we don't keep as many, it lowers the chance of things like diseases from water and things like that to spread because there's less surface area on the plant. So I keep the, the plant only needs leaves in order to photosynthesize. And so if you, I usually just am constantly pruning from the bottom up and just kind of keeping like a martini glass concept of leaf growth where a lot of the healthy young leaves are at the top because they're going to be the best at photosynthesizing and less likely to have disease. As the plant ages, those lower leaves are going to be more likely to get things like late or early blight, things like that. And so we want to make sure that we're pruning to do that. The other, So you can remove, especially on determinants because they get really bushy, you want to remove a lot of those excessive leaves. Now on determinants and indeterminates, you also like, you can remove the leaves on indeterminates and, in, and indeterminates, but you also want to think about what we call suckers. So suckers are these like new branches that are growing. And these are most often seen on indeterminates, I mean, they are seen on indeterminates, but on determinants, you're going to see them earlier on and less as they get 
older. So I like to make sure my determinant has as many branches as possible. And then the new ones that come on later, I, I actually, cause some of them do that and I've had it on some determinants, I get rid of them. And the reason being, cause some people are like, no, you want the most amount of fruit on your determinant, which is true, but our season is so short. I want my plant to be very focused on the fruit that it already has. And those branches usually still produce a lot of fruit as the plant ages. By the time those fruit are ripe, and if I also have indeterminates in the garden, I don't usually need that extra fruit from those determinants. Now, if determinants are the only thing you're growing, sure, don't remove the suckers. Just focus on removing excess leaves, older leaves, things like that. Anything that has sunburn damage, remove those But and leave the suckers. But for somebody that's growing a mix and you have a short season, help your plant know where to focus itself. You can also... Once at the end of the season, when your tomatoes are getting a little, you know, you got some green ones and you see, okay, frosts are coming, the temps are getting cooler, you know, I want these to red, you know, get red. Just give that thing a haircut, just cut it back. And what you're doing is you're telling that plant, like leave some leaves, obviously, but you can cut back a lot of the branches that maybe have a ton of new fruit on it that you know is not going to be produced or turn red. You can cut it back. You can take those fruit if you want to use it like tomatillos and make green salsa or fried green tomatoes, whatever you want to do. But then those ones that are closer, what it's going to do is it's going to recenter its energy and be like, oh, okay, I get it. I'm not supposed to focus that way anymore. I'm just going to focus on you know, grow, making these guys turn and be what I need to reproduce myself basically. And there you go. Your tomatoes are going to redden pretty quickly if you have a few more warm days and you're good to go. But with that's the pruning, you can do that in indeterminate versus determinate. Now with indeterminates, we want to help it focus on specific branches or else it's just going to be this monstrosity of a plant, which is okay. You know, if you're going to grow it over an arch, things like that. But I think these plants are begging for boundaries and we can give it to them. And that basically can be done by removing the sucker. And I have a blog post about this that I will link to that shows what a sucker looks like, how to remove it, all of that. So it's super helpful and I think you will enjoy it. So it's really straightforward. So I think that is like the high level of like all the major things. My last tip with tomatoes and this is particularly for those that are in the northern regions. We're talking about zone six, five, four, three, okay? In the south, you're not going to have as much to worry about in terms of this. It's a little different game. But for us, so many people want to put out their tomatoes. You know, for us, a lot of people, I see them go for it like last frost date, last frost date. Don't do that. Okay. There's a reason I don't put my tomatoes in the ground till June. And the reason being is I'm waiting to see, is this, is it 45 degrees or warmer consistently every night? If it is, it's time. The reason being is that anything below 45 degrees is going to stunt the plant, potentially cause early blight. There's a lot of things you're going to damage something, you know, which makes it more susceptible to disease. You're going to it's just don't do it. It's not worth it. Protect those plants. Keep them inside at night until 
that moment where it is 45 and up. You can even, if you have a night that's going to be 45 uh, or higher, like 50, let them stay outside that night. They're going to be okay. Put them in a nice protected place from wind or rain or, you know, some damage, potentially damaging weather. Um, you're going to want to do that. So because it can help them kind of start adapting, that's part of hardening off. But it's just, a, you just don't want to set them out and put them out in that world when you aren't sure. So the best app that I use is AccuWeather to really watch that two-week trend. You really want to see it for two weeks out, 45 or higher it in as a low. So once you see that, you're good to go. But like I said, it may not be for some of us in the North until June. Okay. And that's okay. And if you're worried about any of this, you can also, if maybe you plant early, get some cover. It's okay to put some fleece cover over them. They will be okay because the soil is really the thing. The soil will be warm if that day was 80 and then you get 40 and you put fleece over them that night, they're going to be fine. Okay. But if, especially with the soil being so warm after that warm day, but that's really like, the gist of it. I know it's like a lot to comprehend. And like I said, we're going to do this hour long course with everybody sharing their tips and questions and everything in the community. So you can join. It's as low as $13 a month. It is a wonderful place full of wonderful people who are super passionate and helpful with gardening. And we all are just sharing so many cool things right now. So I think you guys would enjoy it. You can check it out. All the links are in the show notes. Until then, my friends, see you out there. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.